Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. Hello, and welcome to this week's InScope, the healthcare security podcast. You can tell I'm laughing already because this week's guest is one of my absolute favorite people. And I, I said to Phil before we started today that uh, the hardest part was going to be not to be too much of a fanboy on on this week's podcast because uh, I have with me one of my one of the most luminary people in the medical cybersecurity community. With me today is Nina Ali, who is the driving force behind the Biohacking Village at DefCon. And for those who don't know the Biohacking Village, because I know not every one of our audience has uh, hung out at DefCon for the last twenty years, like uh, like I have, the Biohacking Village is really. A lot of the center of medical cybersecurity research in our community. Uh, every year, the uh, the vendors bring devices and hackers hack on them, and there's great talks. and uh, Scope's been a sponsor for the last couple of years because we think that the biohacking village is incredible, and we think that the work that Nina does is incredible. And so today, I have Nina with me, and uh, I'm really excited to to hear everything that she's up to and everything she has to say. So, Nina, in your own words, tell everybody who you are, because I I just I just kind of geeked out on you there for a minute, but you know, where'd you come from? What's your bio? Tell us a little bit about you. Oh, this is like a for real origin story, like sperm meets egg kind of moment. <laughs> Interesting. Where do I come from? New York. So I am a New York City origin human, which is like my theme song in life, apparently, because I tell everybody, because apparently there's a differentiation between New York and New York City. Either way. Everybody remembers their first job, right? And it's always super interesting what that was. So let's talk about you for a second. What was your first job? Wait, you're turning this around on me? Yeah, I'm totally turning it on you. Uh, All right. So uh, my first job was as a baseball umpire for Little League. See, that's cool. That's what I spent my my teenage years doing uh, and teaching kids how to play hockey. See, so you should bring those skills to the community and do roller hockey. We don't need more hockey in the community. There's, no, too, there's enough of us Canadians already. But so, so how did you get into medical device stuff? Like, why medical devices? So, origin story. First job ever was working as um, a receptionist in a nurse's retirement home. So, life goal achieved right there. And then I went off into the military, did some stuff, got out, went to the Department of Labor. The military liaison was like, what do you want to do? Do you want to work with children? Do you want to do this? He asked me if I was good with computers, went on a two and a half hour um, interview for implementing an electronic medical record. The man was like, before I even walked out, the guy, his name is Dennis. He's like, you got the job. I just need you to know that before you leave. And I was like, yes, amazing. So that's where the whole thing started. So um, 2006, I started working on electronic medical records. And that's when they first had started to be implemented. They were still sort of that... um, individualized area of gynecology has their own EMR, cardiovascular has their own EMR, and this was integrating all of those things and just implementing pieces and parts until it all got put in there. And then I've just been doing EMRs and then the associated IoT, IOMT, Internet of Medical. um, Things. Yes. So those things, I worked primarily in surgical oncology with all of the things with every single device ever created by man and God and putting those things together into logical formats for the surgeons and physicians and clinicians and patients. 
how did you get from there to Biohacking Village at DEF CON? I am not one of the original owners of the Biohacking Village. They started a year before me. And I remember looking at the DEF CON website and it was like Biohacking Village. It's new. It's, it's doing the thing. And like the next day it was gone. And my heart melted a little bit. And then I went back and it was back up. So I went to DEF CON. That was my first DEF CON. I think it was either 2014. It was 2014. And I actually, the schedule was completely off by an hour. So I just sat in the room. And by happen chance, I happened to sit by one of the coordinators of the biohacking village. And we just had lots of conversations in January of the the next year. So in 2015, he said, we need a new PM. Do you want to do it? So I said, yes. And that's my origin story with the biohacking village. And so the first few years, I, I remember distinctly when when this started in the first couple of years, because that was when I was a GE. And I know that the medical device manufacturers were Oh, you're just going nicely. right in. There's All a right. nice there's a nice word for this. Uh, reluctant to participate. How did you all get them the vendors to the table? Kindness, kindness and love. How did we get them? So we that's a great question. We did not have a device lab for I think it it started when I was in year three. And a lot of that year one and year two was primarily convincing the world that we were not there to be nefarious, that we were not there to cause pain to the healthcare biomedical pharma industry. And eventually we teamed up with the um, IoT village and we had a, a small medical IoT table there and that we had brought all of the medical devices and people were like, oh, this is great. And then the next year we started the device lab where it was more, let's bring the medical device manufacturers. They have more hands-on. There's a little more ownership on their side of bringing the devices, having those face-to-face conversations with the hacker community so that they can help have that conversation and understand what the researcher community is doing in terms of how they're researching, how they're disclosing, and ultimately um, trying to bring those people into the auspices of the medical community and helping build out more of the medical devices. For those not familiar, what's come out of it? Like, how how has that worked out for the last few years? Brilliantly. So it's it's gotten so much bigger. And I'm, I love this question. So the, my background is in hospitals, right? So when I look at the devices, I don't see them as singular. I see them as a system. So over the years, it wasn't just an idea of, okay, this manufacturer will have this table and they'll have their own table. It's more, how are we going to start networking these things, creating a system of systems so that people understand, as opposed to what Grey's Anatomy and, and some of the other medical shows show, people are not kept alive by a pulse ox and a heart monitor. There's so much more to this workflow when you're a patient and when you're a physician. So every time we do the the device lab or the biohacking village just in general with the different labs, it's always a next level thing of what what did we do last year that didn't work? I'm very big on let's do a SWOT analysis on everything. What didn't work? What did work? And how are we going to make that better? And I, as a thing, whenever I end meetings with the team, I ask them, what what are we not seeing? What can we do better? And if it's just garbage, if it's a garbage idea, like we have to toss it because we can't spend time on this to make this community better. Completely. So, so where do you go from here? What's what's next? And then, then I want to go oh, completely you. different direction. But what <laughs> what does twenty twenty two look like for Biohacking Village? What's so here's your plan? the thing, friends. <laughs> I just had this conversation with Mike, so now he's just in here 
asking for all this information. So the last two years, because of COVID, we've had to do more of the online situation, which is great because accessibility, right? Everybody can now join DEF CON. Everybody gets to be a part of it. Huh. It's a lot of work. We're going to have the speaker lab. I've had lots of conversations with a lot of different people, and we do have a lineup already because I'm an overachiever. And by January, I'm like, nope, half of this has to be done. So we have a lineup. And for all intents and purposes, it's pretty extraordinary. I learn better by hands-on. So we also have hands-on exercises that are just mind-blowing this year. The device lab, we are going to do it more where it's system of systems, where things are going to be connected and we are going to be bringing in bigger machines, um, things that under normal circumstances you wouldn't see as a patient or maybe you wouldn't remember seeing as a patient because you're in surge already under anesthesia. And just full workflows for how the medical device is actually made. It's not just like, oh, here's here's an iPhone, slam it into your arm, that's good enough. More like, here's the chipset, here's the thing, here are the mechanisms, here's the bio um film or plastic or glass that goes around it to protect the human so that whatever metals inside don't start integrating with your bloodstream and and being broken down that by the ferritin by the iron in your blood etc oh we're doing a tabletop exercise so if you know me talking is great right tabletop exercises are amazing they're great they do what they're supposed to do but i wanted to do something more integrative this year where it's a lot more hands-on this is going to be an exercise in patience in understanding knowing your side of the situation, just as much as understanding the doctor side, the physician side, national security, all the things. Um, and then we have the capture the flag, which is also going to be a lot bigger this year because of all the changes that have rapidly been happening. So there's just a lot of things. There's It's massive. It's almost a conference in itself. So for, for those yes. who haven't been there, you can go to DEF CON and you can spend all your time. We at the take up a whole block now. It's incredible. I, I mean, uh, the capture the flag itself. So so I don't usually get to play capture the flags. And uh, two years ago when COVID started, um, you know, obviously we weren't at DEF CON and I got to mm -hmm. play and, and played the capture oh. the flag uh, with the scope team myself. Um, and uh, Sorry, sorry. Chronic interrupters. So no? I forgot. Please. So... Last year, we had this thing called the loft. And because I, I'm over Zoom, right? I think we're all over Zoom. So this created a space where people could go into the different doors, into the different areas. And if you went into the CTF, it looked like a workshop. And if you, uh, a wood, wood workshop, these are words. I don't know if they make sense, but these are words. And then if you go into the TTX room, it looked like a, a table that you could all talk at, blah, 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 blah. So this year, we are making those things bigger. Because accessibility, because I don't want it to just be come to DEF CON and this is the only time you can experience things. It's going to be also like you can go to the left and spend time there. Um, uh, by the way, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Just for, for everybody that doesn't know, this is yeah. a virtual space. This yes, isn't a sorry. loft like, Correct. in Correct. the building. Sorry. Yes, yes. Um, it's online. So and then And it's as cool as she says it is. I hung out there last year. But we're making it better. Let me tell you how we're building a hospital in that space. We're building Yep, we're building a legit hospital, like modeled after some of the, the awesome hospitals that are more recently built. And we're showing the devices that are being brought to the village. And we're like, yes, this this specific thing would be in the ER. And this baby incubator would be in NICU. And this anesthesia machine would be in surge, things like that, so that you can understand the not just the the logistics of things, but also the topologies where it's, oh, okay, that makes sense as to why it's in this 
enclave or whatever, however we end up setting up the hospital. I think that's super um, important just to put out because a lot of conversations that I continue to have is that there's not enough people to hire in medical. And I find that fascinating because to an extent, yes, but medical has also made it a little more difficult to get into. And because how medical in general is where it's that you go see your your general practitioner, you have that conversation with them and they're like, oh, you might have diabetes, go see the endocrinologist, then you go see the endocrinologist. And then they're like, oh, you might have to go see your GYN and a cardiologist and everything is separated. And then you have to come back to your your GP to have whatever conversation you have. And I feel like we've also done that in medical to an extent in, in our side of it, where cybersecurity does the thing that they do and then IT does the thing that they do and privacy and policy and risk are over there and the doctors are on the other side and there's not enough communication between them all. So I'm trying to somehow thread them together. It may not be the like the tightest knit right now, but it's I feel like it's a work in progress. Well, I think it's been a challenge over the years. I, I, I've often said that that... Healthcare doesn't necessarily understand hackers, and hackers don't necessarily understand healthcare. And and I think what you've done over the last few years is such an important bridge. And and you know everybody I ever talked to in healthcare security says we can't find anybody to hire. Great place to go, right? To you know what you've built is literally a room, physical and virtual, where you can meet those people and convince them why they want to come work in healthcare cybersecurity rather than just go you know hack Bitcoin stuff or or whatever. So how do you see the future of this? How do you see getting more hackers into cybersecurity and, and uh, around healthcare? And, and like, where, where do we go from here? What's the industry going to see? I love these questions because you're just setting me up for nothing but success. And I appreciate it. I think COVID has exposed a lot of the issues that we had well before COVID. It's just now we're here. And more than that, we we look at the larger industries, the things that we can see, the things that we we interact with on a daily basis, right? Like petrol, gas, um, electricity, water, and we see the hacks that are happening there, and we're like, oh, that's that's cray cray, right? Oh, but are we also recognizing that those things interact with hospitals just as much? Which means there's some downstream effect, or there might be some downstream effect, and being that you can have real-time evacuation situations, right? Like in the energy market, in water, whatever, whatever. But you can't really do that in a hospital. You can't say we're going to do a practice run because practice run in a hospital means that you are going to be – New York is the hospitals that I worked at, so those are always my examples. So how do you evacuate a hospital that's 14 floors with 100 patients on the floor and no elevators – you have to disconnect them from machines. You have to bring some of these folks down. Like we're, There's a lot of issues around it, right? So a lot of bringing it the visibility of what's going on in all the sectors, because this is the one industry, the one sector, the one critical infrastructure that has all of them. So how are we protecting all of those, including healthcare? Absolutely. So I, I want to flip this a little bit more towards you for a second. Oh, so, dear. you know, as long as I've known you, you've been working in the federal government. And I just got the news before we started that that, that may not be the case anymore. So tell the world what, what you're looking for. You know, what are, what are you out there? What, what's next for Nina? Not just ne- what's next for the biohacking village and the medical cybersecurity industry. I want everybody to know that you do not prepare people for questions, first of all. 
Um, so what do I want? I feel like I focus a lot on the laws, rules, regulations of things, of medical things, but simultaneously, I find that there are a lot of conferences that do these things without input from the physicians, from the people, from the people on on the ground, right, doing the things. So, what do I want to do with it? When people think about risk, right, in healthcare, the risk generalized is the cost of things. What what is the cost of a cyber attack? But when we're looking at hospitals, we also have to integrate that into the cost of patient care and understanding how workflows can be uh, disrupted and interrupted for the physician, but also for the patients. So when I think about what I want to do in my future life, we have this tendency, I feel like most of the United States has this tendency to think that the FDA runs all of healthcare, and that is not the case. They Or HHS. Or HHS. And there's multiple entities that have some sort of control on on healthcare because production of the medical devices, because of information and data and care. I would love to see somehow, I, I don't think I would go back into the government for this, but I would love to see more conversations with them and hospitals of what does good risk prevention look like re- in the reality of the situation, not just, you know, it could be better if, no, what is the reality? I've been in too many tabletop exercises where the people in the room are like, no, we got this, we'll make a decision. And it's like, but you may be affecting someone's workflow, the physician's workflow and the patient's workflow. And by changing this one thing, you might be adding 20 minutes to a visit that they don't have time for already. And how is that affecting patient care? What What are the effects of all the decisions we are making? And why aren't there more people that are directly involved in those conversations? One of the things that, that I... I'm just riffing off of what you said there, but one of the things that I've seen a lot of is exactly what you say, and 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 it's it's such a different thing in in healthcare than it is in other places. If you if you walk into a financial services firm and they want to do something silly like put all of our put all of our customers' PII on our website, the security people get to walk in and say, "No, you shall not do that," and and sort of hit them with a hammer. And I don't think people understand the power difference in healthcare. Um, you know that that really. What the doctors need to do to treat patients matters and takes precedence over cybersecurity in ways that don't happen other places. What do you think of that? Because they don't see risk as the cyber side, right? They see risk as patient care. How is this going to affect the patient? And we're not having enough discussions of, let's say, just pacemakers, for examples, right? We don't have enough conversations about this is what a pacemaker looks like. This, These are the security implications of this thing. Um, a patient doesn't walk into a hospital with some sort of heart condition and the the physicians say, you know what, um, we need to operate on you right now. That happens. But there's never, hey, these are the pamphlets of the current models that we have here in our supply. This is these are the best models that fit your condition specifically. Can you just take, you know, take a few minutes, look through these um, the pamphlets. Here's the contact number for the medical company. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, give them a call. Come back to me. But you've also got five minutes before we have to prep you for surgery. 
Right. It's the different level of duress. And you, you, so I worked in, in finance. I went into finance for about three years, three or four years, because I was like, uh, I, I don't know why health, why this is so hard for healthcare. And when I got there, I was just like, it was a God moment, right? You walk into healthcare and they're like, boom, here's our laws, rules, regulations, standard metrics, audits. This is everything you need to know about how we are going to do our work. That is phenomenal. And there's, there's nothing gray about it. It's, this is it. This is what you're going to do. These are the laws you abide by. And if you don't abide by these, these are the, um, these are the fines that we get. And that happened after, I think it was like 2005, the Wall Street thing. Um, that all came about after that. So I feel like this is that moment for healthcare. We are having our Wall Street moment of what are we going to do to take this over? And just going back that duress moment for the patient of, I came in here thinking I just had, you know, like just some chest pain and now I'm going into surgery. Um, we are still under that duress. Healthcare, healthcare, biomed, farm, pharmaceutical is still under that kind of duress right now. And nobody makes good decisions when they're under that kind of duress. However, we have to start making better decisions and good decisions, increased um, education decisions, because once COVID is over, we cannot go back to what the normal, quote, um, situation was, because that's how we got here. So what are we learning? What have we learned? Um, and I, I wish there were people, I mean, I suspect there are, right? I do it. Writing things down of this didn't work. This didn't work before. It doesn't work during COVID. We just have to eliminate this from our process and just sign off on things. Do real-time conversations of, I think this could be better. I think this is how we can make it better and try. Because one of, one of the, one of the things I love doing at the Biohacking Village is we get to try something different every year. We get to do something. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. There was an effort, right? And inherently, every failure equals a success because now we know it doesn't work. We just check it off and say, okay, but we're going to save that, right? Like when I used to program, I would write code and be like, I tried this. Do not try this. It blocked everything. I broke it. Please don't do that. Uh, but it may work in a, in a different version. So why are we not doing more of that when – oncology has things they document right medicine medicine documents everything patients um hematocrit went up too high or by point two this may be an issue for future case we don't write those things down like that i think part of that is you know the that you're right the medical side of of the business understands that sort of risk aversion and risk management and, and risk understanding but we don't necessarily do the same thing i want to flip this to another one of to, to one of my rants and hear what you say because i oh, always God. just like Bring your it. opinion on I'm things excited. i've been and and especially with all the your understanding of regulation uh, one of the things that i've been frustrated by and and seen and i think you're saying it's our moment and i think this is part part of that moment is we as a medical cybersecurity industry has done a pretty good job of certain proactive re regulation, right? Whether it's the, the FDA pre-market guidance saying you have to design medical devices with cybersecurity in mind or the post-market guidance that says, hey, if a vulnerability comes up, you have to fix it. But the thing that I think is lacking, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and how it plays into everything you just said, is we don't regulate the providers. We don't say, as a hospital, a great example, as a hospital, you have to monitor your, your systems for security and you have to actually be watching. I've walked into many health systems in our nation and say, what are you, you know, how are you logging from your medical devices and how are you watching for cybersecurity incidents? And they said, well, we patch things. And, and there's no regulation, there's no drive towards standardization and, and you know, 
I, I, it, it's one of my pet peeves, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. So if we look at financials, financial responsibility, things like that, most hospitals do not work in the black. They work in the red, right? They're always at a deficit. So we are having conversations about like, let's bring in people that are going to cost us as much as a physician to secure the hospital. Okay, that's that's an opportunity. But are they looking at this as, okay, but they're going to secure the whole hospital or is this one, you know, it, it it's a cost situation. And also when when we talk about securing a hospital, the the FDA and MDIC have the the linkage now, right? That partnership of doing threat models. I am all for a threat model. I love threat models. I love threat models. I love workflows. However, when that is not a mandate to the hospital system. So they they get contracts of this new device that's come in and they're like, boom, I have everything I need. I had an S-bomb. I have, I have the threat model against awesome. Yeah, high five, everybody. We did our job. Amazing, you did. But how is this going to fit into the medical system? Again, example I give is in your house, you have a Mac computer. Your um, your stove is a Viking stove. Your fridge is GE. Your um, your TV is Samsung. But they're all on the same network, and they're all secured very differently in one place. Exact same thing in the hospital. Very different things, secured very different ways in one place. How are we going to secure these things in a hospital that has almost every device ever created, legacy and brand new, with patients of different um, needs, right? Because not every uh, pacemaker is put put into the same um, calibrations per patient. So you have to adjust per thing, per per hospital. It's a lot. It's a lot. But since we're here, let's go in. Let, let's keep digging. Thoughts on how to better regulate hospitals? I love that you're smiling at me because you know there's so this is so compounding. How do we get the people that are making these decisions? I think there's and I may be lying about the number. I think it's between 23 and 29 different agencies in, in the U.S., government agencies that have some jurisdiction over medical devices. We don't think about that. Nobody, everybody's like, FDA, amazing. And there are, right? They're doing a, they're doing a phenomenal job of their work. They are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. However, do we understand and recognize that hardware is not necessarily run by the FDA. That's like FTC, FCC, the data situation, 5G, all these things, again, conglomerate into one space. We're talking about cost. We're talking about risk. We're talking about humanity and their lives. So bringing more people to the table, bringing in those opposing thoughts from working in the hospital, you do the case studies, right? You, you have those cases where people start talking about whatever it was, we need to start doing that, but to a much better extent. We need physicians that understand their their work on the hospital side and also understand the cybersecurity side. And they can then say, like, this works and this doesn't work. I had a conversation with a, a surgeon. He's 28, I think. And he said, the surgeons that I work with don't understand that if the cybersecurity situation with that robot that they're using goes down in one surge suite, they think they can just go to the next suite. And I was like, it's not, it's not how that works. He's like, I know that. I know that. I know that it becomes an open surge, right? It's not laparoscopic anymore. But they just think they can just move the patient. 
And that's fine. That's fine. Because we also haven't done a good enough job of having those conversations. These are hard conversations and making each other understand every relationship, right? Communication is what's going to get you through it. If you're fighting, you still have to have that conversation. If you love each other, you're still talking. We need to have better order skills with each other. In other words, it's hard and getting all those people to the table is going to be hard too. So I, we, I know we've been, we've been talking for a while and we, it, you and I could probably keep talking all day, but, but I, always, I always end with, where can the world find more Nina? You know, where do we find you on the socials? What things are you up to? Where are your projects? Tell the world you know, where they can find more of you. So I'm actually going to divert that question. Um, there are a team of 10 core people that work on this village for 360 days. And then we get to DEF CON. And then we work on it in real life for four days. And we get one day off a year. And that day off is flying home. This, and it's all volunteers. Every single person that works on this village is a volunteer. They are giving time, love, and consideration to doing what they do. So at the core, right, numbers. So at the core, there's 10 people. Under that, there's at least 150, maybe 200. So it's I, I I don't want this to be a reflection of like where do we find more Ninas because there's many many other Ninas. It's just that again going back to the idea of we we aren't necessarily looking for people. We're like oh you're a superstar like let's talk to you only. I don't want to be the only person that that has conversations with people. My unicorn quote unquote moment is that I'm one of the only people that has worked on EMRs electronic medical records. I'm one of the only people that has worked on medical devices with EMRs. I'm one of the only people that has gone through traumatic situations where we had to just go back to absolute bare bones, paper and the machines where you have to dial into them to um, configure them for the patient, right? So when it comes to that sort of thing, yes, that's my niche. Like I am all for, um, problem solving and resiliency and things like that so on the socials if you want to find me and my friends it's at dc underscore bhv my personal one is at head in the booth um yeah we're doing a bunch of other conferences so if you want to tune into the things that we are doing the website is villageb.io nina thank you so much for being here we love having you and and it's been far too long getting you here but we're gonna do this uh, again, and especially right after DEFCON, if I can convince you to come on after you're fatigued and exhausted, and maybe after you get one day off on the flight home, exactly. um, we'll, we'll do this again after DEFCON. I have one thing so for you. Thanks wait, again for wait, being here no, this morning. No, 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 no. I have one yeah. thing for you. Random question. Okay. What, what about you has changed during DEFCON, or what during your calls with people have people realized more about you on a personal level? That's a hard question. I'm going to use the podcast okay. because uh, you know, we started the podcast uh, during the pandemic. And really, I think it's clear to everyone at this point who's been listening and, and probably everybody who's talked to me in the last two and a half years that I always say, I'm, I'm not smart enough to figure out how to cure cancer or cure COVID or do any of the amazing things that our physicians and nurses and nurse practitioners do every day. If I can use my cybersecurity background and whatever skills I have to help make patients safer while they're in the hospital and safer within the bounds of what uh, what I can do and what I can convince the folks at Scope to do and how the work we do can improve that. That's really what drives me to get out of bed in the morning and 
how we try and change the world. And, and if we make a little bit of a difference in that, and if we make a little bit of a difference with this podcast in convincing people that this is an interesting problem and an interesting space, and if we can get more of the hacker community to come work in hospitals and work in healthcare to solve the problem, and if we can get more people interested in solving this problem and, and truly understanding the complexity of the problem. I mean, the real thing that I'm driving towards with this podcast and all of our guests, and thank you for being incredible this morning because you did such a great job of doing this. This is really complicated and really hard. And it, it's not going to be me that solves it. It's not going to be you that solves it. And it's not going to be any of our friends that solves it. It's going to be all of us, from the government, from FDA to HHS, to Europe, to Asia. This is a global problem and a problem that's going to take a huge number of us. And um, if I think if anybody's listened and learned anything about me, it's that. And it's that I'm obsessed with this and that there's nothing I wouldn't do to solve the problem. So with that, we're going to wrap up. And thank you for turning that around on me. You're the first guest that ever turned questions around on me. You're and welcome. I love it. I absolutely love it. And thank you again for this. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Hey, this is Mike. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I have a request. We would love to hear more about topics in healthcare cybersecurity that matter to you and the challenges that your organization is facing in securing this ecosystem. Do you have topics you'd like us to cover? Or maybe you should be a guest on the show. Get in touch with us. Search for Scope Security on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.